You're listening to Women in World War II, a novel experience, hosted by me, Anna Parker Naples. I'm taking you through the journey of writing and publishing my first historical novel, focusing on the history of women at home in Britain, the Bletchley Park girls, the factory girls, the Wrens, the Wafts and the Land girls. I'll be sharing with you the challenges of the research, the learning and the writing struggles as I celebrate with you the women at home in Britain in the 1940s. I want to talk you through some of the history that inspired me to want to dive in deeper to exploring what happened in Leighton Buzzard, my hometown. I read a book about, it's called Q Central, and it's about the secret hidden activities that were going on in the war in Leighton Buzzard, that as a result of the ongoing influence of radio and radar that was being pioneered here, that was then used as we went into the Cold War, it was imperative that that remained secret for far longer than what was going on at Bletchley Park. Now, my interest in Bletchley Park started because I was involved in a a devised, immersive performance project there that I absolutely loved. I love history. I love getting into a place where I'm able to devise a character myself, pull lots of research together. And there was something very special about feeling that we were really bringing situations that had happened in this environment to life. I then went on, as I was doing that research, to realise that a lot of the WAFs and Wrens who were stationed at Bletchley Park, in total there were nearly 10,000 women who were working at Bletchley Park at the height of the war, that many of them, because Bletchley became inundated, Bletchley Park, they had they had filled and gone over above and beyond being able to billet people in Bletchley Park itself. And so all of the surrounding towns and villages had to take people in to home them. And this happened in Leighton Buzzard a lot because we're only five miles away with the nearest town. And so we had not only the mathematicians who were billeted into private homes. We also had WAFs and Wrens who were billeted into private homes as well as in buildings that were requisitioned to effectively be hostels. And that included the Grovebury Road workhouse, which actually was used for all sorts of things in the war. Now, when I read about Grovebury Road, that really flagged something up for me because I knew that next door to where the workhouse had been and the buildings that were there was also Gossard's factory. And that was one of the very first places that I worked as a teenager. I worked there for several years in different departments and I knew that there was a history connected with the war. And I was starting to see that there were all these different elements, different facets that felt very connected to my own life. Gossard's is, unfortunately, it's no longer in the UK, but it was a factory that was initially creating women's underwear, which initially was quite perfunctory. And later it became known in the later 20th century as the place of the Wonder Bra. I was actually involved with creating some of the materials and testing the fabrics. It was one of the oddest jobs I've ever done. But I knew that there was this history. And I realised through reading this book, Q Central, and doing my my research into Bletchley Park, that there had been a very specific bra that the Wrens had to wear. And these happened to have been manufactured at Gossard's. 
as soon as war was announced, in fact, a little bit before, many of the factories were had to then be providing for the war effort. And at Gossard's, not only did they provide the bras that were worn by the Wrens, but they also were initially creating the balloon barrage material which would then be floated up in the sky and connected with wires to prevent low-flying planes from being able to come across major cities and places that we really wanted to keep safe. So we were really involved with that because the kind of fabric that could be put together quickly, and that became women's work. And then they went on to, and this really stuck in my mind, they went on to be responsible for making the parachutes that were used by pretty much all of our military. And as a side note, I have a, a relative who would have been my great uncle who died whilst using a parachute. And so there was a story there that was quite prevalent in my family's history. And then I discovered the place where I'd worked as a teenager was really connected with the war as well. So I started to think, well, I wonder what it was like. I wonder what it was like to work in that factory then. Because the processes won't have changed drastically from what I knew about in my teenage years. But what was it like to suddenly know that you're creating materials that are one, to protect you, and two, to enable others to go into war zones or to enable your menfolk to survive in a, in a moment of crisis? What was that like? So that was, that was one part of what made me curious. As I went on to read more about the history of Leighton Buzzard, I realised that one of the first incendiaries to land on a civilian actually happened in my village. So not just my town, but the village that I've lived in for most of my adult life, certainly since we've been parents. And this really struck me that it felt incredibly close to home. And that's a story that I do hope I can bring some of that out in the book that I'm intending to write. But who knows? Who knows what of my research is going to make it and what isn't? Because I have to tell the story through character. Then we actually live in the village in Heath and Reach. We live on the edge of a huge sand pit. And the sand from our region is really good quality and it's used across the world to make all sorts of things. Apparently, some of the sand from our region is used to make the windows in the White House in the US because it's so good, all sorts of things like that. But there were actually a couple of suicides by members of the RAF in the sand pit just up the road from me. And that got me really curious about what would drive someone to do that in the war situation, what might have happened which led me to get curious about what was going on for the RAF. So right here in town, we had RAF Leighton Buzzard, which has now, post-war, was changed to RAF Stanbridge, which is still in existence. But the operations that were going on there were so important that they built an entire decoy station that they employed some, uh, I think they were called Sound City Films, and they were experts at creating these huge, vast movie sets in the UK. And they'd done a lot of work at Pinewood and studios like that. They created this huge site to make it look very cheaply as though it was a manned operated site. So that if anyone, if any plane came over that was going to drop something nasty on us, it wasn't going to hit the place that was actually important. It was going to hit approximately a mile and a half away. That's how important it was. That made me curious. What was going on here? We've already got this secret Bletchley Park thing going on. 
that no one could talk about. And then there's something so important that they've built a whole film set to make it look as though it's elsewhere. There's obviously something they're really protecting. I then began to find out that the street that I grew up on, where I lived most of my childhood, that on that street road, should I say, which at the time had been almost in the countryside, many of the country houses, big country houses by very wealthy families were commandeered. And there was one particular place called Oxenden House. And Oxenden House became the home of some of the new radar technology. And what was happening in all of these country houses, literally where I grew up, was that they were being used, they were developing this radio technology in combination with what was going on at RAF Leighton Buzzard. And radio and radar were the main reasons we could then preempt enemy attacks because we could start to develop this technology very quickly. And this was what then meant that at Bletchley Park, we could then intercept a lot of the messages. There's a little bit more to it than that. And I'm not I'm not so hot on that part of the history. But what really fascinated me was the our town had thousands and thousands of military personnel. And we had only been a town of 8000 people. So let's say 2000 men go off to war, maybe more, maybe less. I'm not sure on those numbers. And then suddenly we've got vast amounts of military. We had not only RAF Stanbridge, we also had RAF Wing, which is another town, uh, another village a few miles away. And they had so many people who were pilots. The RAF was there and then they had some later on, they had Canadians there and they had American Air Force there who were also coming and socialising in the town. So our town, this sleepy, tiny little town, all of a sudden had three massive dance halls that could take 450 people each. Suddenly we had multiple cinemas, all sorts of activities that were going on. Then I discovered that my own middle school had been quite involved in the war. So I went to a school called Leighton Middle, which has this beautiful building as it's it's called the Old House. The Old House actually became famous later on because it was where Mary Norton came, lived as a younger woman and came up with the concept of the borrowers. So that house is actually where it was imagined the borrowers were living. But the Old House is beautiful. It stands at the top of the high street or the bottom, depending on which end you think is top or bottom. And that school was previously known as Cedars. And it was a grammar school at the time. And it turned out that the boys at the grammar school were, in many of their lessons, many of their lessons became woodwork lessons so that they could make, at speed, ships and aeroplane models um, that were then used by some of the commanders and generals when they were plotting for the radio and radar and having very high level meetings within our town. That fascinated me. I then discovered that, I mean, I'm a huge audio fan. That's why this podcast is here. And I I realised that there'd also been what was known as black propaganda going on in the villages around our town. The first of which was a decoy radio station where they were transmitting radio to the ships in the Channel and in the Atlantic, specifically to German ships. And the intention was to demoralise the troops by making them believe that they were listening to a genuine pirate German radio station and giving them false information about the fact that they were being defeated. 
and basically to demoralise them so that they would be less engaged and less likely to follow command and all sorts of things like that. And this, again, it was this kind of personal connection with it. A lot of this was planned out in a big country house called Maryland. And this is on the way from Leighton Buzzard and Heath and Reach towards Woburn. And I, as a teenager again, had worked in that huge building. I was at that point, it had been turned into a a residential artistic home. So not exactly a home, that's not quite what I mean, college maybe, where older people could go and do a week's training in art classes or, I don't know, pottery or something, but loads of rooms. And I was really fascinated by the setup of it. So later on to find out that that was where they had created this entire new concept of black propaganda fascinated me. And then they had a little broadcast station just across from there in a tiny, tiny, tiny little hamlet called Pottsgrove. And a lot of the broadcasts came from there. And what they had was prisoners of war who were friendly, if you like, uh, so German speaking. And they brought lots of people who had escaped Germany who would then be have their alter egos on the radio shows. And they also had this young girl who was the daughter of a German playwright who had been, who was a refugee, political refugee from Germany in 1938. And somehow she'd ended up, her family ended up in Leighton Buzzard staying at the Swan Hotel. So she actually went on to become mega famous and went on to become a West End star. Now, that was mind-blowing. How is all of this influential audio stuff happening on my doorstep? And how did I not know? How have I lived here most of my life? And I have no idea about this stuff. And I started to think, well, if I don't know, nobody else does either. And maybe this is information that should be out there. I then found out that the the major evacuation of children from London in the Blitz, well, it turned out that our town was the very first town that received evacuees. And there was one weekend where thousands and thousands and thousands of children and mothers, which I hadn't realised, the very first weekend of evacuation happened here. And it was two or three days before war began. And many of these children had no clothes with them. They were dirty. They had no shoes. Some of them were with their mothers who were not happy to no longer be in an urban environment that they were used to. And there were all sorts of issues going on between the women who lived here, who were responsible for homing and clothing them now, and those who arrived. And in that period, which was known as the phony war, when nothing was happening to London, people believed it was all a load of rubbish. And this made me really curious. What is it like to be the woman who literally knocks up on knocks on someone's door and says, hey, these are your allocated evacuees, they're yours now. You are financially responsible for them. What's that like to be the one leaving those children there? What's it like to be the woman who's receiving those children when you already know that you're financially stretched and maybe your son or your husband's going to war? And I think as we were coming into the pandemic as well, it felt for me like there were some similarities with what had happened in the war in those moments before war really started. And I knew that I wanted to bring this to life somehow. And as I, in my mind, I can see this being something that 
could become an Amazon series or a Netflix series. But I don't know. I just want to explore it and give myself the best chance of that. And if all I do along the way is share some of this passion and enthusiasm with you, then that's actually going to have been good enough. I'm being fairly kind to myself in this creative project. So that's all I'm going to tell you about today. There's so many other bits that I cannot wait to share with you. But I want to talk to you through about what it was like to start a course where I have gone in alongside other people who are experts at what they do. Thank you for listening to Women in World War II, a novel experience. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I would love to hear from you. So reach out to me on Instagram at Anna Parker Naples. Let's make sure we celebrate these incredible women at home in Britain in World War II.